Hello folks, you are listening to Humble Dojo Podcast. This is Rue here. I'm coming at you from wet and windy Dublin City. Um, I'm doing a little intro to this episode of the podcast uh, because I thought I ought to let you know why the conversation in this podcast begins quite abruptly. And it is because I had hit record on the laptop. But before Ross or I could do any kind of Hello folks, you're listening to the podcast, some kind of intro that we normally do. Uh, Rick had just begun chatting to us. So I will bring you in at a point in the conversation that I thought was pretty interesting. And from there it just flows rather nicely. Um, also, I'd like to let you know that uh, for the first um, three or four minutes of what is presented here, there is kind of a noise problem inside the dojo where we were recording but after those three or four minutes, um, the noise was uh, fixed. So please bear with us for those first few minutes. And besides that, I hope you enjoy the episode. I will be interrupting again halfway through to let you know about some HDKI-affiliated uh, dojos around the world and the events that they are hosting in the coming weeks and months. Enjoy. Cheers. Oz. Are they on socks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My life is falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to pull up some steps. That implies it was together at one point. Yeah. <laughs> hmm, interesting. Yeah. So they're really well-rounded martial yeah. artists. Yeah. Well, that's I remember when I first encountered, like, uh, the Shotokai people, mm-hmm. the, like, uh, Ogami, Siguro Ogami, sort of a path off of Funakashi that you know, probably said that that was the authentic way before the JKA was, mm-hmm. you know, scientifically studied in the, you know, the laboratories and the universities and all that. But, and I first saw it and it looked to me, it just, because it was not the same aesthetic as the kind of karate that I was brought up with, because the kind of karate that we've all fallen in love with, mm-hmm. well, at least years ago, was that very clean, sharp, precise, sort of defined, aesthetic, mm-hmm. a snap to it, and a kime. Then I studied, and in 2000, when I picked up my Aikido practice with Satomi-sensei, there was this um, virtue in not having form, kind of this almost amorphicness, which was intended, so that your ability to kind of just move fluidly and connect with the occurrence and uh, was a much greater commodity than this like precise, sort of sharp, defined thing. Then I went back and looked at the Shodokai people, and like, wow, I see them from a totally different vantage point now. There's brilliance to that way that they move. And when I read Ogami's book, I think he wrote a book called Beyond Technique. And he also had a very kind of spiritual jag to him as well. So um, I think there were times when he said that he came upon these epiphanies and his whole body would just tremble. There were like spiritual epiphanies wow. through his karate practice. Wow. And I've always been motivated by that in my training, like if it was just a physical thing for me, I probably would have quit years yeah. ago. But it's like, how do you extrapolate this into bigger and bigger spheres and have it affect your everyday everything, like just who you are as a human? And so I gained a deeper appreciation for the Shotokai. And, uh, and you know, even I'll even say that I think Satomi-sensei, who is my Aikido teacher, mm-hmm. is my best karate-sensei. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has opened up doors and made me in a provocative way, think way outside the normal constructs that I was thinking yeah. of before. And there's a certain brilliance to that. So was there was there a point where you kind of like 
you just like what you thought like because obviously Aikido and Karate are on the surface are very different yeah so was were you straight away making the connections and how you could then take your karate to the next level straight away when you went to Aikido or did it take time was there a point and you were like ah this is the same right well there was actually it was kind of a odd circumstance and coincidence that I met him some of his students came to study karate with me and uh, they after their course of their practice I they said can we give you something and I, I said no it's no, no charge I said what but they ended up giving me his book uh, Aikido and the Harmony of Nature and I read that book and I just immediately said I need to I need to meet this guy because the book was just this muse of uh, his art and uh, his ideas and uh, it was I, I remember reading the preface by it was written by I want to say an anthropologist and it just hooked me right away how he kind of tied the theme of Aiki and how energy moves through things as being like this very one of the basic tenets that has been back in our humanity like anthropological belief system is that the spirit runs through any everything you know it's sort of the Shinto thing or the stream of consciousness the Kanagata no Michi and I just like felt when I read that it was like wow this is a fundamental truth that keeps resurrecting itself in all different cultures and this is just one manifestation is in this art of Aikido but if it's such a fundamental truth then it should pertain to anything including my karate so I guess right from the get-go I was trying to make those connections I'm not seeing the dissimilarities but the similarities yeah and then I met him and it was just such an odd occurrence because it was almost like I met it's like you walk on a path and then in a very purposeful way someone is intended to cross paths with you and you just don't swim the same after that and it was it, it, it's like that idea where they say you know when the teacher will appear when the teacher needs to appear you know yeah. that kind of thing and that's how it was for me because I had been practicing karate from 70 to I guess 2000 so it was like 30 years and I probably needed something to expand my karate outside of the sphere that I had been looking at it from. And so when I met him, he was just this sort of odd, well, I shouldn't say odd, very provocative uh, teacher that kind of spoke almost in koan. So he would, he would present things in this way where you really, it was how you assimilated it that gave it value. So, I mean, I don't know how many times he said things like, you know, Rick, to be or not to be, and then he just walk away. And then I had to sit and think about that for a year, you know, or he'd point to like his palm and he'd say, Rick, right here. And I'd like for a year, I'd like look at And But at some point I would be like, oh, I know exactly what he's talking about. You know, like, for example, that was like when you grab somebody, you want to, he says, he says, your skin is your original brain. That's what he says. And so when you, and I, I keep being such a tactile sort of form of communicating and feeling your opponent that when you grab them, it's almost like you're plugging in. So when you grab with the palm of your hand, you're not really grabbing with your fingers. You're kind of grabbing with the essence of your center on the palm of your hand, connecting to your partner. And when you get really quiet, you can feel a lot that way. It's like you can feel where they're holding their weight. I mean, you, that's a big part of Aiki is that yeah. sensitivity of that connecting point. But he didn't say that to me. I had to figure that out. He just pointed to his palm and said, Rick, here. And then so for a year, I, I went off thinking about those things. And so it's always been like that. And do you think Satomi Sensei knows that the lesson is more valuable if he gives you something vague to meditate on? Well, you, you know, I don't know if he... I don't, yeah, that's interesting. I don't... I've had many conversations with him where um, after a couple hours, I'm not sure we even talk to each other, but you walk away with a bunch of stuff, you know? Yeah. So I don't, I don't think... I, don't, I would not say he's that rational and he's, his, he's so in his 
right hemisphere of his brain that 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 thing but you know our left hemisphere i guess and i don't know if it's exactly like this but is very discreet you know it draws it's like linguistics like you say what is it? this is love but can you really describe love you can't you know you just have to experience it so I think he's so much in that hemisphere of his brain that I don't know if he, he kind of goes back and says, you know, I did this for this, such and such a reason. He just throws it out there because that's what he's feeling at the moment. Okay. And then what you do with it is what probably gives it the most value, which I think is, that in itself is a great testament. Yeah. Um, just going, going back to what you said about, you know, when you said that the JK, when they, they left, and Egemi Sensei went one way and yeah. Nakayama Sensei went the other way, and then you had that, that kind of scientific approach. Yeah to uh, Shotokan that Nakayama Sensei brought, yeah. which of course gave great value yes. to what we have. Do you think it's also in many ways the limiting factor? Well, yeah, well, I think that, like Carl Jung said, that the best thing is when the two hemispheres are in balance, yeah. when the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere, and I think, you know, maybe even some of the ills of the world today revolve around the fact that we have become so entrenched in science and factual things that we start to lose the poetry in the sense of just the connection and the feeling of um, like you know I go back to saying like the everything is everything but I think that um, I, I tend to live more in that space I'm probably not quite where Satomi Sensei is mm. but um, but I've gotten and then oddly when you're in that neck of the woods funny things happen like he one time uh, he, I dream about him all the time and I think I might have told this once before, maybe a seminar, but uh, I don't. I, th I think about him sometimes during the day. And in fact, we spent the day together just a few days back. But I don't really think about him like as soon as I wake up. But but I dream about him oddly almost all the time. Like he's he's in my dreams constantly, and I'm also doing martial arts karate constantly in my dreams, and way more than I mean. It's bizarre. Wow. It's it's kind of a strange phenomenon. It makes me kind of wonder where that all comes from. But anyway, in the dream one time, he said to me, Rick, he said, Earth, man, heaven. And I remember I woke up and I, I remembered it because it had just happened in my dream. And um, I was like, well, that, that actually, I mean, it's not like some stuff in a dream where it's really bizarre, like Rick, Earth, man, chicken soup or something. <laughs> it was like, it was like it's, it could mean something. Yeah. So I remember writing it down on my nightstand there. And then I saw him a few months later, and we were at lunch. And I said, I said, Sensei, um, uh, sometimes I dream about you. And he's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like he just knew, you know. And I said, OK. And I said, the other night you said to me, Earth, man heaven and he's this is correct <laughs> and so I, I slid a sheet of paper over and he just went right into earth man heaven it was about a 20 minute lecture that was just I mean it wasn't it was it was a thing wow. and um, I remember his first comment was he said you know man is uh, vertical as opposed to many animals that are horizontal like a dog or a cat or whatever he talked about man's spine and it's the shape of the spine because he talks a lot about not having straight lines, which has probably had an effect also on my Shotokan because Shotokan Karate is very linear. And there was a thing maybe about 20 years ago when I met him that I tried to soften up all the edges of my Karate and put much more spirals and curves into it. And so his thing was that the spine is not like a pogo stick. It has a shape that flexes according to the gravity, that the forces that's put upon it. Yeah. 
He's like, shock absorbers, Rick. And I was like, what, how you sensei? He's like, oh, the cartilage between your joints and your facets and all that is like the cushions that kind of help maintain your verticality. Then, and he's a pretty good artist, he drew an outline of a man and then he drew sort of the acupuncture, what we would think of as the acupuncture meridians and charts, you know, that kind of thing, like the energy channels of the body. And he showed arrows kind of coming from from low to high. And then his final drawing, which I thought was was rather remarkable, was he had a guy on the edge of a cliff kind of standing in the Yamagame from Hangetsu. Mm-hmm. And now he doesn't do karate, but that was the sort of exalted kamai that this picture was. And he drew like these arrows coming from the earth, going through this person's structure, sort of along the energy meridians and sort of out the crown chakra. And he said, this is, a, this is a feeling you want to always have when you're moving, when you're doing anything. You want to feel that connection, like you're grounded through the soles of your feet with the energy of the earth, but you're connected to the infinite through this sort of alignment. And so he kind of, he goes way, way down beneath the layers of technique, and he tries to get to these almost like feelings and these sentiments and these sort of almost obtuse ideas that all of his martial arts then is constructed upon. And I appreciate that because I think that is, you know, when I was young and came to the martial arts, it wasn't just a physical thing. There was, you know, deep, much deeper lessons to be learned. And, I, and like Scott and I were talking about earlier today, it's like when I post videos occasionally, I get folks from say the MMA side of the community and they're like, well, that would never work. Or, you know, this is, you know, it's, if it doesn't have a utilitarian application or get you out of a good street fight or whatever, then why would you do it? And I would say things like Earth, Man, Heaven have applications way beyond the utilitarian, you know, that we would see. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess one of the things that I try when I go out is to, champion the cause of the more traditional martial arts because unless you're a participant in it and you you understand those things from afar it doesn't look like it's rational or it has any bearing and i think one trouble is because it's esoteric and you have to go up the levels before you understand things like that yeah um people will uh, get frustrated if the answers aren't all apparent early on yeah but how do you sustain a practice for 50 years I mean, you got to be always looking for the thing that's around the next corner. So I love the fact that you never quite can pin it down. That's the magic of it. Mm. You know, I mean, if I learned all the self-defense techniques and I could perform them, then I'd probably get bored and move on to something else. But it's, I guess for me, always taking what you learn in the dojo and extrapolating that out into a bigger and bigger sphere of your existence is, that's the ambition, that's sort of the seeker's seeker's journey I would like to bring that back to karate I think th- I think not just karate could use it but I think the world in general could get back to that sense of connection of all things is that like that needs to start in the dojo though yeah and it's like it's a difficult thing to put across because like you say people do so many people do martial arts for a host of different reasons yeah and the sort of that lovely sentiment that you just gave there behind Satomi Sensei's teaching mm-hmm. what has become your karate, your yeah. Aikido. It's very difficult to convey that to other people, yeah? Yeah, well, I think, and that I totally would agree with that, Ross. <laughs> I think it's all in the realm of provocation because I don't think Satomi Sensei's intention is to give me Satomi Sensei's experience. Yeah. His intention is to ignite my experience, and I think 
you don't do that kind of verbatim. You kind of you give it in these sort of ways where um, the person has to interpret what you're saying and make it their own. And in the making it their ownness, it is unique to them. So I think that's the real that's the real beauty of the experience is that you know is that everybody has their own journey and and you know you, we honor that and celebrate that. I mean, it's partly why you know we have the Sunday morning Keiko thing for me. That's the, what I say is a community. It's, it's an organization that's not an organization. It espouses to that as opposed to necessarily having a particular syllabus. It's about sort of resurrecting that quality in everybody and then honoring it and sharing it as a metaphor for how you'd like the world to be. Because you know, I'd be pretty bored if the world was like me. I, you, know, that's, <laughs> you wouldn't want everyone to be the same, right? I mean, you want the uniqueness. So, yeah. So when, when you're, like, you're over here, you're teaching a seminar tomorrow, you're going to try and give a piece of that experience to everyone yeah. tomorrow. What are the challenges then when you have a group, you know, that you've maybe never taught before or a group that you've taught quite a few times, like you've been here quite a few times now? What are the challenges in trying to convey that within a context that is very physical and not mental because people are on a seminar to physically exercise, yeah. train, is there a, like do you find it frustrating sometimes that you know it you have to be confined to that sort of box of of karate? Okay, or? okay. Well, I would say the very first thing when I'm when I go anywhere, um, I think to myself, like, how can I be the most productive? And I look back at maybe the arc of my practice, and say there has been certain epiphanies along the way, certain realizations that I came across that were more profound than others, you know, and um, so. What I try to do is distill that down and share those things as maybe shortcuts for folks to, uh, you know, kind of grab a hold of something and, and take it and run with it. So there's that's sort of uh, where I'm coming from. But I would also say that the technique is not disjointed from the like I, like Aiki, the way it was talk, told to me, like Aiki technique really manifested from the philosophy. There was the philosophy first. And, and that the technique sort of was an outgrowth of that, so that it's unlike, like if you read a book and something makes sense, you sort of understand it. But that's really not an experiential thing. Like you don't own it. I mean, if it's, you say, oh, that's a lovely thought. Yeah. But when you actually, re to realize something, is it's, it's, it's in the marrow of you because you've actually lived it. So the technique was designed to do that. Like how do you deal with conflict in this approach to the world experientially by learning it through, my, through movement? And once I understand it through movement, then it's steeped in who I am. It's like, it's because I've been there, I've, it's, I've experienced it. So that's the difference between, say, understanding something and realizing it. So I would say things that we talk about in the seminars, like, you know, this idea of posture or relaxation or kind of moving with intention, they manifest in physical movement, but they're actually deep, more spiritual uh, processes or principles. Yeah. So... It's kind of like you can't really put the cart before the horse, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's kind of like the the form and function kind of dichotomy because we always people always talk about like form and function. Yeah. And so usually when we come and we we learn form first, you know, and then it slowly evolves into function. But later, I would say you think of the function first and let that dictate the form. So they're really just the same thing, only different sides of the same phenomenon. Yeah. You know, it's just how you're approaching it. What do you think? Because I know that you, you do not really delve when you teach, delve into the more spiritual, 
living your life aspect of martial arts, you very much are ingrained in body mechanics, how to get the most function out of your body when training. I don't really, I don't think you really delve into the mindset behind everything as much. Um, no, but I think like my karate has changed, and like I know for a fact that Rick Sensei's karate has changed over the five decades of training, right? Mm-hmm. And, and certainly in in your in Rick, Rick Sensei when you were in the twenties and thirties, and maybe even forties, you were very much kind of you know, hardcore kind of mm-hmm. technique and stuff like that, yeah. So, um, you know, I still have a little bit of time to be involved. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I, yeah. I, I love to train hard. Yeah. yeah. And I love that our karate is, I'm trying to make it more and more dynamic as yeah. I go. So. I think I think also that there's, 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 like when when Rick Sensei gets up and, and teaches and says these things, it resonates because you know for a fact that he's speaking his truth. Yeah. And there's a genuineness to it that that is gives it a level of authenticity that nobody will ever argue with. And and for sure when when he and and other like we, you know Rick Jackson and other people like that who come and like for sure like they'll say something and. And I'll, it resonates with me, and I, I kind of have those experiences and that understanding of, well, like I have my level of understanding and my experiences of that that they kind of act as a lighthouse and go, oh, yeah, I think I'm kind of on the right track. But if I get up and start saying things like, like you know, both Rick senseis, then there would be a level of inauthenticity to it. Yeah. So, you know, occasionally I'll say things. And yeah, it doesn't stop you from stealing a little nugget here and there. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> nothing is nothing. <laughs> and turning it around. Yeah. Yeah. Rebrand, repackage, <laughs> redistribute. Hey, modern world recycling, what do you need to yeah, do? Yeah, 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 no, it's great. I'm saving the environment. Um, <laughs> no, but like there'll, there'll yes. be things I, I, I'll say and, and that I, like the, the things that catch, catch me by surprise is I'll say something and, you know, you guys will go, oh, deep bow, sensei moment, oh, you know, <laughs> Whatever, Always of. when he's pissed. That's when it's at his best. But like, like you know, and, and those things will be just kind of like things that I just think are blindly obvious, mm-hmm. right? I mean, these yeah. things that you're saying, yeah. you probably kind of feel like they're kind of blindly obvious. Yeah. And then you'll say it and people go, that's amazing. Mm. And similar to kind of maybe Satomi Sensei, you will yeah. say things yeah. kind of offhandedly or without real kind of deep yeah. thought because after his eight, decades of training or whatever it is seven yeah. decades of training yeah. they're blindingly obvious yeah so yeah. i think like you know I've, I've i'm always surprised by i'll say something that is kind of or like not only kind of saying things on, on a philosophical level but also doing things on a physical level mm-hmm. well this is just what you do and people go oh, that's amazing kind of thing well, okay maybe it is after mm-hmm. a certain number of years of training so yeah, yeah. We're all on our own path. I think that's one aspect of an epiphany. Once you once you get it, it seems so clear. Right? Yeah. That's yeah. what people always say. Yeah. Yeah. So f- when you do have that epiphany, it's it's it becomes your obvious. Yeah. But to yeah. people who haven't had that epiphany yet, they're uh, completely in the dark. Well, that's the other, yeah. th- sorry, that's the other side of the Dunning Kruger effect. Well, yeah. You know, where like um, you know, people are too stupid to realize how stupid they are. Mm-hmm. Experts are so clever they don't realize how clever they are. I suffer from that a lot. Yeah. 
Just which end of the spectrum? Yeah, I let the people decide that. <laughs> the vote's in, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and there's an element of subjectivity to that too. For example, when I write my cartoon, one of the coolest comments that I get is if somebody will come up and they'll say, "Whoa." I read your cartoon in the morning and it meant this and then later in the day no it meant that and but when I went to bed I finally figured out what you were trying to say and then they tell me and I'm like I have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> but there's there's a great beauty in that because that yeah, is art right that's lovely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you provoke something and they've had an experience and I mean that is to some degree a definition of life right yeah. yeah actually um i'm a songwriter yeah um and i wrote a song which wasn't really about much but i named it after my friend mm -hmm. and uh and i I, there, I i mentioned her name in the chorus mm -hmm. and i sent it to her and she thought she knew exactly what the whole thing was about <laughs> <laughs> uh, the human mind is amazing yeah. yes it is yeah she was like oh i love the way you mentioned that thing that happened when you know such and such a time she thought I was alluding to all kinds of stuff that we. But it's it's a, it's a natural prog uh, tendency to find meaning, uh -huh. right? You know? Yeah. And I think that is uh, that is part of what compels the 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 warrior sage is that you know desire to find meaning in things. You uh -huh. know. Yeah. So you mentioned um, getting some flack from the sort of modern martial arts community, mm -hmm. like the MMA community and stuff yeah. like that. Um, never being able to have your techniques work in a street fight. You told me a fantastic story one year that you were here that I want you to tell. Like, I've been trying to tell Rue, but I totally botched it. <laughs> it was when somebody flipped the bird to your father. Oh no, you got it. You're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Can you that tell Rue the, the, the story, please? Oh, it's, my God. Is, it's, it's quite out of character for me. That's why it's an interesting story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, well, it was my father, give me a break. <laughs> and I was young. How, how old are you, Rue? 28. Yeah, I was about, well, maybe a little bit, yeah, about your age, maybe okay. a little bit younger. Yeah, my dad came back. I, I can't believe you're making me tell this story. <laughs> my, my I can't dad, my, well, well, there was really no karate involved. It was just pure intention. But my, my dad comes back from doing the grocery shopping, and he says, wow, young people today just aren't what they used to be. And I'm like, what's the matter? Oh, I was driving between the high school and the junior high to the store, and uh, this this young fella just gave me the finger flipped me off i'm like who gave you the finger this young kid he was playing baseball going to baseball practice and he he just gave me the finger and my, and my poor dad was like really upset you know it's like the world doesn't have class anymore so i was kind of upset by it too i guess so i got in the car i said what, what was he driving oh he had a black pickup truck so i got in the car I can't believe you're making that story, man. This is like, this, to the listening audience, this is so not me. So I go, I go, I take the car, I go between the high school and the junior high, and I see the black truck sitting under the tree with all the other, you know, vehicles, and they're all playing baseball. And I, I sat there for a good half hour like any stalker does. <laughs> <laughs> with attention. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I see that you know they're coming back and they got their baseball bats and they're I'm like, well, this is probably not wise. They just jump out of the car now because <laughs> there's like a whole team yeah. team of them, you know. And they got their bats, so he gets in his pickup truck and I'm like, you know, I should really this is, but but it's my dad. Give me a break. It's my dad. Exactly. So and I love my dad a lot. He he didn't deserve the finger. So uh, he's a guy's. Pulling drives away, and I'm like, uh, so I, 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 pull, I pull out too, and I'm like, I just go home. Ah, no, I guess I'll follow him for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, man. So anyway, um, I follow him for, I don't know, a good seven or eight miles. We're out on the key now. We've gone over the bridges, and I'm pretty sure he knows he's being followed. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he gets out on uh, St. Armand's Key, and he... Uh, he pulls up into this driveway. I could see by this time he's a little panicked because he's trying to kind of get rid of me. And it's like, turns a corner real quick and turns another corner and I'm still right behind him. And then he pulls up in this driveway and I pull up right behind him quick and I jump out of the car because of course I know he's like twice my size, you know? He's a big athlete dude and I'm like a buck 35. So I run up to the door and he's got the door open and I just, I step right into the door. So he's still sitting, you know? And he's freaked out. He's like, what, what, what? He's like, what are you? And I'm like, did you give the finger to an elderly gentleman today? And there's this big pause. And he's like, yes. <laughs> All of a sudden, it's like, he's my son or something, and I'm yeah. scolding him. And I'm like, as my dad. He goes, oh. <laughs> he makes this little noise. <laughs> so he had a bunch of, like, uh, papers and pens and stuff on his dashboard. And I said, you're gonna do something. I said, you're gonna call him. I grabbed a piece of paper. I said, you're gonna call him and, and you're gonna apologize. His name is Tom Hutton. You're gonna call him and apologize. He said, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, because I basically thinks I'm a buck 35, a crazy man. Lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it went really well, you know. He like, called it, he well, 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 then, what ha then I went back home. Okay. And uh, we were about to sit down to dinner and the phone rings. And my dad says, uh, hey, would you get that? I said, no, you get it. And he's like, what do you mean, no, no you get it? Said, you don't ever tell me, no, you get it. Boy, young people today, first I get flicked off, now you get it. So, so he goes over, and I, I'm, I'm listening very carefully, and he's yeah. like, hello? He says, yes, it is. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Honey, she calling my mom, honey, it's the young fellow that flicked me off today. <laughs> he says, would you like to come over for a drink? I'm like, oh my God, daddy's underage. You can't bring him over. <laughs> oh my, so, wow. but uh, yeah, that, that went well. And my, I restored my dad's faith in the, yeah. the next generation. Yeah, probably stepped way out on a, Limb. Oh, it all worked out. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I think the laws now against stalkers. So, yeah. uh, probably, so. Yikes! But what a gracious way to accept an apology as well. <laughs> yeah, and the guy and the kid. I gotta give. I gotta give credit to the kid. I expected more of resistance, and he was mm -hmm. just. He was like, okay, I'll do that. Just don't like, murder me <laughs> in my driveway, please. Because <laughs> you knew where he lived, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, that's pretty funny. Yeah. Bro, uh, definitely out of character for for me. <laughs> but that's it. That's karate without using karate. Yeah. You know, mm. it's, it's it. magic. Yeah. As you said, just the intention. Yeah, that's what you had. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's cool, man. Good cool story. <laughs> the cowbell music ringing in his ears. <laughs> Hello, folks. It's me again. This time, I'm here to tell you about some upcoming events that we have within the Humble Dojo Karate International community worldwide. This episode will be coming to you on the 15th of November, which means uh, tomorrow for you, that is the 16th and 17th of November, our very own Scott Langley Sensei is giving a seminar in Oder in Denmark. So contact HDKI Denmark on Facebook to book yourself a place for that. Nextly, the 30th of November sees Simon Bly Sensei and Matt Payne Sensei in Dublin for an open seminar. 
Um, that is in Tala Leisure Centre. You can contact secretary at hombudojokarate.com to book yourself a place in that course. And the 7th and 8th of December, it is the HDKI Great Britain Christmas course, which sees Scott Langley and Kawabata-sensei from uh, the Hoitsugan in Tokyo. And they will be giving a course in London. So contact Dan Walsh to book yourself a place on that course. And lastly for today, Scott is also going to be in Karlskrona in Sweden, 13th, 14th and 15th of December. Uh, Karlskrona, Sweden. Get in touch with HDKI Sweden to book yourself a place on that course. I'm going to give you back to Rick Sensei now. Hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Oh. It reminds me of that. There's that great YouTube video of the uh, Maasai warriors walking up on the. Have you ever seen that? Uh, on the lion. The lions, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they just like walk right up and take the kill right from like a dozen lions. Whoa. Have you seen it? No. Oh, it's gross. so martial yeah. art like. It's yeah. so much about that sort of single minded intention yeah. kind of. Yeah, they, they, they're sitting behind a rock. There's like. And they're not young dudes. They're probably in their like mid sixties, yeah. and there's uh, about a whole pride of lions devouring a zebra, probably like ten lions, and they just all stand up and just politely walk right up to the kill, yeah. and the lions one by one leave, wow. and then they cut off a shank of it or whatever, and then they, and the commentator says they walk away calmly before the lions figure it out that it's a bluff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But yeah. That's cool. But it's like that. Like I, I, not that I want to blow my own trumpet, but like I, I once, um, I once came into the dojo actually, and, and someone was here, and uh, I can't remember who it was, but they, they said, oh, I saw you the other day. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You were, you. I was at the airport, and you were, you, you walk, came out of the airport, out of uh, arrivals, and walked to the car park. I said, oh okay, well, you didn't say hello. And they went, no, no. So, I have never seen anybody walk with such confidence. Oh, that's great. I thought it was really mm-hmm. nice. But like, it is that kind of like that mm-hmm. going back to that you know uh, Earth Man Heaven yeah. connection. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a there is a sense that when you walk upright. Oh yeah. When you walk connected, when you walk with purpose, whether it be just through the airport or mm-hmm. walking to kind of nick the, the the prey from lions. Yeah. Oh yeah. That you. The sense of training brings that to you. Yeah, and I remember times. when I trained with my sensei, we used to just step into our kumite uh, dachi, our kumai, yeah. and we would just try to have that sense of connection yeah. to your partner. And Aiki yeah. is very much about that. Yeah. And I would not say martial arts had the corner on it because uh, the guy on the silver screen that you can't not watch that people say has star quality yeah. is just doing that. Yeah. I mean, he's just filling the moment with his, his sense of himself. It's like, you know, one life, one moment. Mm. I always think of that uh, Yule Brenner in The King and I when he's standing there, you know, he's got that look and that yeah. stance to his body. I'm like, that's very martial looking, you know. And also just, just to be an actor yeah. needs to be have great empathy yeah. to be able to connect to, to someone else's character, to connect to someone mm-hmm. else on the screen, to connect. Just to connect, yeah. it all comes down to that one moment when you are being someone else, if you're acting or being connected to someone else, if you're empathizing or if you're connecting to someone because you're going to, you have intention to right. defend or attack. Yeah, like they say, like shoulders down, eye up, look to an infinite yeah. point. And I'm guessing if you were at Juilliard or something and a dance teacher is going to say, when you reach, reach for the wall. If you sing, sing for the back row. I mean, it's yeah. that feeling of projecting yeah. your mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a former performer, I yeah. can uh, 
Yeah. And if you think about all the things, I mean, I watched you at the thing. Of oh, yeah. Playing, yeah, yeah. Like, when I was wow. up on the table scene. Yeah. Well, first thing you got to do, <laughs> and you think about that, how that, that process manifests, too, is you have to get past your self-consciousness. Yeah. Like, to be able to stand up and play that guitar or whatever your instrument is and sing, I mean, the first thing you have to do, because your self-consciousness keeps your energy inside, but then as you relax, I remember when I first learned to ice skate, I was basically staring at the ground, you know, it's like yeah. you're afraid you're going to fall and break your neck, yeah. but then as you get more comfortable, your shoulders go down and your stride opens up and your eyes are up and now you're like, you're doing your thing. You know what really helped? That night was the three quarters of a bottle of whiskey. I'd already consumed that. <laughs> that probably wouldn't help ice skating. Certain disciplines they don't teach at Juilliard. <laughs> yeah. I think it's down to experience too. I think at this mm -hmm. stage, I've. I could. I don't think there's any crowd I couldn't stand up in yeah. front of and do whatever I want to do. Well, it was awesome, and it was lovely. And, you're, you're, <laughs> and what was really cool about it was uh, it was so you, you know. It was like you could see that honest, authentic uh, side of your personality, and, and you did a great job. I'm like, yeah, no one, no one could do it like that. I mean, that was you, you know. That's pretty cool. Thanks. Don't cry, yeah. man. Don't cry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I would have, I would have loved to have been able to pick up an instrument because music, I think, facilitates that because it, it has an emotional line. Yeah. Just like I think karate technique has a line, you know, it has an intentional line that the technique sort of attaches itself to. But I think music, in particular, has like an emotional line that the notes attach themselves to. Yeah. Definitely. And 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 when a really good uh, performer is really tuned into that, and then the notes are again almost like a secondary thing they're just sort of fulfilling their purpose you know well i think um yeah what you're saying about music is is spot on but i think it's even more primal when you see it in dance mm. um i think uh like when you're having a say there's music playing yeah. and you're having a really good time there's an instinctive thing that happens to me and i see it happening to other people as well and it's where the term get down comes from you right. know everybody get down mm -hmm. and it's because people hinge at the waist um, it happens to me if I'm if I'm being backed by a really good band or something, mm -hmm. and I start getting carried away. I end up singing sort of bent over. Oh, is that um, right? No, and I think uh, like some things that we do when we're dancing yeah. come instinctively from like a deep feeling of joy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's I think it's very primal. Probably there's there's primal ways to sing too, but you wouldn't necessarily hear them on the radio. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and there's there's primal ways of dancing that you only see in kind of, of traditional course, yeah. dancing or oh yeah in like tribal cultures yeah. it's like a, a constant you know everyone yeah. people people will dance yeah and it is a, con a connection to the everything i mean I, someone one time said and you use the word joy they say mm -hmm. joy in the heart is like a state of grace so joy is like a connection you know mm -hmm. you're it's pretty fascinating i think the flip side to it as well is, is also like the the connection not only you you kind of can make a connection to something other but also in a performance sense whether it be kind of singing dancing or even teaching karate yeah instantly recognizable by the audience by the participants whether it's been whether it's genuine or not yeah or if it's orchestrated mm -hmm. and there's a facade the, mm -hmm. that that you know like whether you're performing if you're faking it or you're not it's not absolutely genuine yeah. absolutely honest yeah. you know it could be really good but if it's not honest it's not good yeah where yeah. if it could be mediocre but if it's really honest and leave everything on the on the floor yeah. on the stage yeah it's brilliant right so it's, it's not, I think, not only connection to something other, but also the connection to everybody mm -hmm. that is also connected to the other. Yeah, and I would say that's one of the reasons why I very rarely plan a lesson. I, you know, just like we've talked about this mm -hmm. before, you know, you just step out and you get a little bit of something rolling. You know, maybe with, if you're teaching karate, you watch people do some basic technique. 
and then you use that as the stimulus to kind of tap into that thing. Mm -hmm. And I'll, honestly, sometimes I'll watch the video afterwards, and I'm like, uh, it's almost like watch, like where did it come from? Watching it's, it for the first time. It's yeah, really yeah. strange. It, it, it's, it's so not manufactured, mm -hmm. and it's like you just get tapped into something. Like, what was, where did I, I heard Ruth Stone is a famous a poet, mm -hmm. and she said that she could, um, this is what I heard the story, she could feel a poem rumbling across the landscape. Nice. And she would run back to the house to try to get a pencil to write it. And if she got there too late, she felt that the poem went off to find another poet. So it's like, and on and some cases, they said on some occasions, she would like catch it just as it was about to leave. And on those rare occasions, she would write the poem from the back to the front. Really? Yeah. So, wow. so the creativity, it's like a funny dance you do That's with something, you know, it's like you tap into something mm -hmm. and even writing the, when I was writing the cartoon daily, as Scott and I were talking about this earlier too, it's like, you cannot force that. You just say, it's a, more a way of just putting your mind in a certain mental space that you're available. Uh -huh. That's the trick. That's the only way that it would happen. Like otherwise it just, you, you, you got writer's block. It was just so precarious like that. But and there were some qualities that I found worked. Like one was you had to do, you couldn't do it necessarily for some strange ulterior motive. Like I, I never wrote necessarily for the audience. I just kind of wrote what was you were feeling at the time. Yeah. It had, to, if it was too, if it was adulterated by something, it just kind of ebbed and it just went away. You know, it just had to like, mm -hmm. there was a purity to that kind of connection and finding that, that space. Mm-hmm. And I would also say a little bit of enthusiasm, like if your energy, if you were depressed or apathetic, it was very difficult to to create that. But if you were kind of on the hunt, a little bit of that hunger, like what the heck's around the next corner, that mm -hmm. in theos, that in godliness feeling, you know, that kind of chasing after something, mm -hmm. it it showed its face. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 Like you definitely like teach like to relate it to something added, like teaching you definitely feel those moments like you have days where you sort of kind of you don't want to say four in but you do four in a bit if you're you know tired if you're mm -hmm. like whatever it is if you've had a rough couple of weeks or something you have a class that's phoned in then one day you know like a lightning bolt you just be and you kind of almost on the spot like you just all of a sudden your class just develops out of nowhere yeah. and you're you know you can, and you see it in the students and stuff like that so yeah. creativity starts flowing oh, yeah. and, uh, yeah, and that energy oh yeah oh yeah flow. and yeah. yeah and that's kind of one of those like that deeper thing you know but beyond the mechanics that's like the real thing that's going on i remember when i taught math one time you know math is like a really difficult subject to teach especially oh, yeah. like college algebra kids that and you know returning moms that don't want to be there and one time they were just like so so i wrote the word apathy on the board i said i wrote apathy really big i said do you know what it means <laughs> some girl said I don't know and I don't care. I'm like, that's exactly it. <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> Christ, that's ironic. But, but, it, but it, a lot of it is setting, whether you're teaching math or doing karate or writing a cartoon or your music, a lot of it is, is that mental space you want to put yourself in first. Like, if you can get in that mental space, that's then everything else kind of construct its, constructs itself around that, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's do you think uh, it takes practice to be able to or experience to be able to get into that space or do you, uh, I mean what's that? that's a loaded question obviously I expect you to say yes <laughs> but um, what I mean is uh, how has it changed for you over time well I'll tell you when I was young and I read those things like Mizu no Kokoro and Suki no Kokoro like a mind like 
water and a mind like the moon, those sort of things. They sound sounded like these romantic ideas, and you know they were they were kind of cool, and you know it was kind of a mystery. But you recognize that later that that is what all your martial art is is that perception. Mm-hmm. So I told me another real quick story one time along this neck of the woods. Uh, one time I was in Satomi Sensei's dojo in DC, and he had a calligraphy up that had um, it had like a hand, a fist, and what looked like a peace sign. Oh yeah. And it was they were each in a shape. One was a square and a circle and a triangle. And um, I said after we were sitting there after training late, I said Sensei, I like the the new calligraphy. Can you um, what can you tell me what it means? And he. And the hand mudras, and he said, "Yeah." And he went to do the, you know, rock paper scissors yeah. thing, and um, and a bunch of people laughed, and I just, I just kept looking at him, and he was looking at me, and he said, "Not funny, not childhood game, highest level of skill, intuition." Mm. I thought that was really cool. It's like, and he, that's it's like getting yourself in that mind space where you just feel what's happening. You're like really, really tuned into what happening is happening, is is the substrate of all your stuff you know that's that's the that's the whole ambition is to connect with that moment you know that, that's why i think like each like one life one moment ichigo yes. ichi is is for me the essence you know i've always been on the hunt for what is the essence of my martial art you know i approach it from technique and try to articulate with precision those things and then that kind of leads to principle posture and moving from your center and those things but you're still not quite at the core of the thing like what is what is that leading to like where do how do i keep going deeper and i really think it is it's just connecting with the one thing you you really have it's the only thing you ever had it's like the moment you know and i would say that is self-defense because you really don't want to get to the end of your life and not have lived every moment of your life you know, like, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, would you? I mean, how much of your day is distracted by stuff or yeah. Yeah. worry or concern or you know? But if you know, if if you knew this was your very last day, you would live it totally. You would be totally connected. You'd step out. You'd feel the sun on your face in a different way. I well, we're living the dream, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we've got a pretty uh, sweet. We like to remain. We remain it every day. Yeah. It's the worst thing, though, living the dream. <laughs> is it? Yeah. How so? Is this going to be a sensei moment? Can't get any better. Did I ruin it by saying sensei moment before he'd said anything? <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think a lot of life is made up of contrast mm-hmm. and about achievement and about kind of, uh, you know, striving and, and moving forward. Yeah. And, and not aiming. Like, you don't, you, it's, not a, it's not a point of... It's not a destination. I don't talk in cliches, but you're not kind of a dest- going to a destination. But it's the, it's the it's the journey as you're moving forward and, and constantly moving forward in life. And so, if you're living the dream, then then well, first of all, you're asleep, and and secondly, you you you're kind of repeating the same thing over 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 again. So, yeah. like I think like yes, you're living the dream, but you're also training really hard and and kind of developing that way. And it should be in in some way kind of a, a transitionary period where you go from what you were to what you can be and then once you're there then you move forward and, and then find out what that can be you know yeah i remember reading when i was a kid there was a book the karate dojo by peter urban it's a pretty you know early karate book in the karate world 
and had all sorts of interesting information. But one of the lovely images was a picture of a guy kind of looking off into the distance, and it was drawn sort of like over his shoulder, kind of looking at him looking off in the distance. And the caption was something along the lines of, unwittingly, you will not be the same again. Which I really it kind of talks speaks to what yeah. Scott just said. It's like every day you're kind of res, you're reinventing yourself, you know, kind of like the phoenix. You're rising up from the ashes of the yesterday, and that's that's a powerful experience, you know. Yeah, yeah. Do you think conflict has a lot to play in that? Like we, we were talking, you were joking about you're going to have to to do something awful to Darren because you're trying to give her her best life. But she doesn't. But she doesn't have that that thing to. I think Rick did that today. He told her that Father Christmas doesn't exist. I didn't say it quite like that. I said, <laughs> was, she, "Was she?" Yeah, I felt said, so bad. He said, "So do you, do you still believe in Father Christmas?" <laughs> well, what's? I mean, she's an intelligent girl. What's she going to extrapolate from that? Yeah. <laughs> but she's. Give. I mean, she's not. <laughs> It's okay. It's okay, Rick. You're not the first to ask us such a question. (laughs) Oh, my God. It is mad over. (laughs) I I should have just said, I actually, I believe in Santa Claus too, but it's just, it's an alien. It's a a little gray in a a UFO. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I'll believe that. (laughs) He appears every now and then, yeah. But, but what were you saying? I was, I'm trying to say, like we, we were joking. I, I jokingly say, you know, Diren, my daughter, has got such a good life that I think, you know, when she's like 13, 14 years old, I'll have to lock her in the cellar for a week just to traumatize her enough to give her the impetus to go out and succeed in life. Mm-hmm. It's a joke. Of course, it's a joke. <laughs> but he just we showed don't me have that a little cellar. pit there. I'm not sure what that was about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. dojo pit. Why is there? I think conflict is conflict can be kind of really productive or really destructive depending on how you deal with it. And I think, I, mean, I think that's evident. For uh, for a lot of people out there, some people who have gone on to achieve great things through the you know the need to push themselves forward, and and other people it's completely destroyed them, right? So I think it's how how yeah. how it's dealt with, and and I don't think often that is a conscious or it's a conscious decision. It's not as if some people think, okay, I'm going to deal with this hardship in my life in a positive way, and other people think, oh no, I'm going to allow it to eat me alive. Yeah. So I think um, it depends how how it's dealt with. Rather, you said the thing about having like passive rivals. To like you're you're not trying to to disrupt disrupt their progress, but you're comparing yourself to their progress and yeah. using them as a motivating factor to. Rivals are great. Yeah. Competitors are horrible. Yeah. If you have a competitor, it'll eat you alive. If you have a rival, it'll just shine a light on your weaknesses, which will allow you to improve. That's basically Simon Sinek's kind of philosophy of of the infinite game. Mm. Yeah. Infinite game. You were talk. You've talked about that once before. Mm-hmm. I don't think on the podcast. Though. Do you want to just? It was on the podcast. It was on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was on episode it. two. Never mind it. <laughs> check out episode yeah. two, folks. Yeah, episode two. <laughs> <laughs> to hear more about the infinite game and how it relates to karate organizations. Yeah. And how we're the best one. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by loads of laughter. Yeah. <laughs> um, unfortunately, we have to go to dinner. Tommy Sensei has, is cooking up a storm for us as we speak. Rick Sensei needs some food. I need some food. I need some food. Um, I want to say thank you very, very much after a long flight giving us your time. 
um, we really appreciate it that's awesome uh, thank you so much yeah well, thanks so much yeah, for joining it's us it's good seeing you guys all again yeah. deep bells and us folks oh, 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 oh.